This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalle. Today on the show, we receive Giselle Kovari, president and co-founder of NGen People Performance. She is dedicated to building strategies and programs that target, motivate, and engage a multi-generational workforce. Giselle, welcome to the show and thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. So, so Giselle, I'd love to go in the topic of forced, rapid, unexpected virtualization of work that happened in the last few weeks with the COVID crisis. What I'm curious to hear about is your perspective from the point of view of your years of research and consulting on the four different generation at work. And one might be wondering, well, you know, with personality could be a driver in how you react to work from home, which I, which we heard in a previous episode with uh, Dr. Laura Hamley. How about those four generations? How do they, or how will they experience virtualization of work? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is, it is a very fascinating and interesting time from that perspective. And in fact, today we have five generations, Benoit. So there's oh. traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, which used to be referred to as Gen Ys, but now it's more popular. We, we call them millennials. And then the Gen Zs or the Gen Zs, if you're American. So the traditionalists are 74 and up. So a lot of them are not in the work environment, but they still, they still can be. So, I mean, uh, you know, my parents are traditionalists. They are retired. My people are retired, but we still are facing these five different mindsets across our organization and this, this force and move to work virtually and to deal with COVID-19 is very interesting because each generation I think is responding in a different way, um, both socially and from a work perspective. And if we, if we start with the, uh, maybe the, the youngest one, right. I'm I'm curious if we look at uh, the Gen Z, how, how do we think they will experience that, that future work? Is it something that they they expect anyway, that every company should allowing work from home? (laughs) A little bit, you know, Gen Zs are actually really fascinating. So uh, I did conduct Canada's first national on Gen Zs because a couple of years ago, I couldn't find any Canadian data. And now I've since shared this research globally, and it's quite consistent with what we're seeing around the world. But this is a generation that is actually bringing back some very traditional value. So they want stability and they want security and uh, they want to stay with an employer for a long time. So this is quite interesting. So then when we think about this new environment, they're obviously, though, incredibly tech savvy. And Gen Zs are as young as eight and they go all the way up to 24. So in organizations, it would be new hires. And a lot of our clients that are particularly in the tech space globally, they recruit Gen Zs and Gen Zs. Um, and right now they're being forced to overnight have to orientate these new hires and onboard them and give them training in a virtual environment. Well, obviously, from a technology perspective, this generation is quick to adapt to that. Um, they're, they're easy to use the technology. What's interesting, though, is they're saying, and they've said to some of our clients, we, we thought the online learning would be really boring. It's been a lot better. And, and that's because in many cases, still in um, schools today, post-secondary education, primary education where I work, anytime they've been using technology, it hasn't been done very well. So 
if they've had to be onboarded or they've had to go through training, they're actually finding it quite interesting. And this is a generation where 71% of them have been used to using YouTube every single day. So they're leveraging technology in a way to have some fun, to send through funny memes. They're, you know, being able to connect with their friends, obviously, use social media, even all of my stepkids and nieces, they're leveraging it heavily. But they're also using it as a place to go and learn. And so I think in that way, they're really well suited able to live in a digital world. And they've already been living in a digital world. So to work in that way won't be a big stretch. And it could almost be an opportunity for organization if they do it well, the online learning experience, you can almost score points with that generation. Oh, for sure. I mean, a lot of times I speak about the fact that we want to be able to offer flex work arrangements, virtual work for millennials and Gen Zs, because that's an expectation for them. Uh, when we look at the next generation up, the millennials, so they're the next generation a little older than the Gen Zs. You know, this is a cohort that's been challenging organizations for a long time to be able to have a much more fluid kind of work style. So they have an expectation that they can work from home or they can work virtually. They can, you know, work from wherever they want, quite frankly. And they're demanding that organizations allow them to have the technology, to use their own devices, to be able to blend their personal and professional lives. That generation has said it's incredibly antiquated that we have to come into work. I mean, really, why do we have to do this now? Obviously, lots of jobs, we still need people usually in retail if the you know stores are going to be open. But look, we've been able to prove already in this short time that that retailers can excel with a skeleton um, team and that we can have other resources deployed in other ways to service clients. I just read an article this morning about the banks and how they've shifted to their call centers and having everyone work from home. And the expectation is that after this, They want to continue to offer that as an employment option. And I can promise you that the millennials and the Gen Zs are going to be demanding it from their employers. There's no way that they can say now it's not possible. It is possible. So is our organizations and our leaders just going to be open to being able to sustain them? And what about now? I mean, it's, it, that it get closer to my own demographic, the, the Gen X. I mean, technically, I'm, you know, oh, <laughs> I like to call myself an old millennial. But if we go by the year, so be it. I'm a Gen X. So well, what about well yeah. And just to clarify, I'm a Gen Xer as well. So uh, <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that. There's actually a lot of uh, interesting articles published in the last couple of weeks about how Gen Xers are absolutely excelling in this quarantine environment, how we were well poised for this. We were well trained for it. Uh, we were latchkey kids as children. We were used to being bored. We had to entertain ourselves. We didn't have a lot of technology when we were growing up. We were the early adopters to technology. We used to go and wait in line for, for things. Um, we're highly, highly independent as a generation. So lots of interesting articles about the fact that really, you know, Gen Xers are, are coming out on top. And maybe for the first time, I posted something on my LinkedIn, uh, maybe a week or so ago, maybe for the first time, Gen Xers are getting the respect that we deserve, uh, often overlooked uh, generation in a cohort. So I think this generation is, is adapting very quickly and very well. Um, from a work style perspective, Gen Xers wanted and have always desired a, a, a balanced work environment. So that used to be that first generation that talked about a work-life balance and expecting that we could have that. So not fluidity, that's millennials, but this balance. So I think that a lot of Xers are actually this time at home with their family, their children, being able to not commute as long, um, not to travel. 
Having said that, uh, every generation has some ways for development. And one of the things for the Gen X leaders to keep in mind as they are leading virtual teams now is can they really make sure they tap into their emotional uh, quotient, their emotional intelligence, and and not lose the humanity um, in their leadership and make sure they're touching base with people in a way that's engaging them. So that's that's one of their watch outs, I think. And and we could venture, I, I don't know the numbers, but just by uh, their age, statistically, there's probably a lot of them in, in leadership role. I mean, not that tenure gets you a leadership role, but typically you need a certain time before you get into ship role. So there's probably a lot of Gen X leaders right now who are working from home and, and you know, maybe readjusting or, or relearning ways of engaging with their employees that they don't see face to face. Absolutely. Uh, the, the leadership in most organizations tends to be now Gen Xers and baby boomers. Um, and then there might still be a few traditionalists, usually at the board level uh, or very, very senior leadership. Or if you're in sort of an organization that's family owned, uh, the traditionalists might still be involved. Uh, but just to wrap up the generational perspective, when we look at the baby boomers, I think this is actually a cohort that's probably struggling the most um, with this immediate move to virtual work. Because baby boomers have been very, very well for their strength around um, building relationships. And most of those relationships have been built face to face. Um, it's been a culture in organizations of meetings. It's been a culture where we entertain clients, let's say, by you know going out to, to golf or to go to events. And so this is also a generation that hasn't always been as quick to adapt to technology. Now, I'm not implying that because you're of that particular age, you're not leveraging technology. But most organizations that have a strong baby boomer culture or mindset, regardless of the age of, of the people working there, if they have a baby boomer mindset, they've tended to be very siloed as an organization. They have competed with each other, often across the organization for senior leadership acknowledgement or dollars or resources. And because of that, that siloed, this technology hasn't always facilitated great department to department collaboration. Um, and so that collaboration happened because you might walk down the hall and see somebody or as you pop into their office. So when we remove those opportunities right now, um, there's a strong need for the baby boomer leader and the baby boomer employee to recognize that their relationships are strong, despite the fact that they're not going to be meeting face-to-face with those people. They can leverage the technology to do that. And you, you, we were mentioning also about, um, you know, in sales or entertaining client, because that brings an important question in, in a lot of the reflection about the work from home, the remote work, the distributed work. There's a lot of tips and advice on how to engage employee. And, and and that's important, right? Creating the links and uh, with the uh, the rest of the workforce. But for a lot of roles, the account managers, mm-hmm. the sellers, the business development executive. I mean, yes, you can have a discovery meeting over a Zoom or a WebEx. It's kind of a different um, experience. So I'm, I'm just curious to see if you have a perspective on business development. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I've I've been doing it for years virtually. Um, and that doesn't mean obviously yeah. I'm not meeting people face to face, but you know, LinkedIn has been one of those amazing where we can connect with people, we can share resources, we can have an initial dialogue, we can set up a, a WebEx or a Zoom first initial chat, see if there's an interest, and then follow that up with a face to face. But you're right, the culture of most of our organizations, and certainly in industries in which I support that are more traditional, 
So banking, insurance, oil and gas, government. Um, we, we have found that those organizations have been more resistant to virtual work in all capacities, but especially the sales and business development capacity. And there's been this notion that the only way you build relationships is by spending time in the same location with somebody. And for a long time, for people in financial services and including insurance, uh, advisors have been challenged to say they're younger clients don't actually want that. <laughs> and they're saying, well, you know, how come they mm -hmm. don't want to meet with me in golf? And I said, because I don't want to go spend four hours on a golf course. Um, they want to go do something else. And maybe it's not even with you. So how do we bridge that gap? And, and again, uh, there is a perspective on how we technology, I'm not suggesting we're not going to meet face to face, face to face is very powerful. Uh, most of my work has still been requested to be face to face when I deliver keynotes at a conference or training workshop or offsite because we know the power of bringing people together, but it is about blending those things. And this is giving us a great opportunity to practice those other elements so that when we come back together, we can make it more effective. And while we're all in this uh, quarantine and self-isolation, physical distancing world, are there specific leadership behaviors that you think, you, you mentioned a couple of them, but you know, specific leadership behaviors that are important maybe to fine tune, to develop, to increase, or to be more Absolutely. mindful of. I think, I think there's so many. Um, and first and foremost is communication and being a strong communicator. Now, I want to clarify that, you know, when we work with team and we work with leaders around working virtually and how to be an effective leader virtually, you still, you need to be an effective leader regardless of whether you're co-located in the office or you're virtual. So if you've been a strong leader in, in prior to COVID-19, then you're likely going to be a strong leader afterwards because you've been able to adapt. It's the leaders that have ruled in a way where they had a bit of an iron fist, right? We know, or a thumb on top of people. Um, they haven't trusted them. They haven't empowered them. They haven't given them the space to grow and to learn. Those, that type of leadership style has not been effective for a very long time. Having said that, there's still been a lot of leaders out there that lead in that way. And they have resisted any kind of flexibility or fluidity because their belief has been, if I can't see you, you're not working. So all of that has yeah. to be let go in this kind of environment. So you need to be a very strong communicator. Um, you need to leverage high, rich touch communication. So like we're doing today, while we're not physically together, we're having great dialogue. Because what we know from communication research is that only about 7% of our communication effectiveness comes from our words. The rest comes from our tone at 38%, and then 65% is body language. So we can't see my body language today, but my tone is giving you a sense of how I feel. So we need to use video technology yeah. when we can. We want to have whatever technology you use, Zoom, Skype, WebEx, whatever it is. So enhancing that. I think also being able to tap into intrinsic motivation. So Daniel Pink's research around the fact that all of us have this intrinsic motivation around autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So that autonomy piece is you can't be the kind of leader that's micromanaging all the time in this environment. You have to let people do their jobs and step away and allow them to perform and excel. And they will rise to that occasion. Nine times out of 10, virtual employees work longer hours. And I think they probably work harder than they did when they were in the office. And I would, I would say the final yeah. area is an area I started to do some research on a couple of years ago because we were finding 
that there were some rumblings and organizations around need for this, both for younger employees, but frankly, for, for all leaders, which is resilience and understanding how can we build a resilient organizational culture? How can we be resilient leaders? And then how can we in turn support our employees in being resilient? So what was fascinating to find in the research is that you know, overall, there are lots of different tools, but overall, there are eight validated components of resilience. And we can measure where people are on that. But more importantly, what we can do is like a muscle, we can strengthen each one of those. So it's not a fixed trait like our personality all the time now. Well, I'm an extrovert or I'm introvert. So this makes it easier or harder to deal with a quarantine. Resilience is really a muscle, which we can train the way we do any other muscle when we go to the gym. So the areas I think that come up now virtual leader is the fact that they need to be really able to manage their own emotional regulation. So can they remain calm and can they, you know, in these stressful situations, can they make sure they manage their own emotions and not have that trickle down to their teams if they're really in, in a highly stressed or anxious state? Um, they also need to be highly adaptable. So adaptability is like the superfood for resilience. If, you know, if we can only eat one thing, then that's the one we want to chomp on right now. And it's that willingness to adapt, <clears throat> pardon me, behavior in response to these changing circumstances. So we have to learn to roll with the punches more and, and frankly, accept that things aren't going to go perfectly. And then one of the other areas I think that is important, that's part of resilience for leaders, is to have a challenge orientation mindset, which is viewing challenges as an opportunity to learn, to grow and develop. And when we circle back to the youngest generation, they tend to possess that growth mindset. The research showed for us, uh, certainly with the Gen Zs, that they, they have this growth mindset. They believe they're going to learn and grow throughout their entire lives. So framing this current crisis, not as a crisis, but as an opportunity to learn and grow a new skill, is, is one of the things that leaders can do to, to I think, support their people in being motivated in, in, from their intrinsic motivation. It could even be a talent attraction factor, right? If you are an organization and you promise a lot of opportunity, development and learning, then you can bring the, the talented uh, people yes. to that generation. And, you know, in addition to the, the recruitment and retention from a work style perspective, it also allows one of the really important areas that I'm passionate about is diversity inclusion. So many times people have said, well, you know, we don't have a talent pool, for example, that's diverse enough. Well, when we... When we look at opportunities to have people work remotely or, you know, work in other parts of the country or the world, then we can tap into a much broader base of talent and a much more diverse group of people than we could if we were just looking at people that had to be located in whatever city we're in and driving to our offices. Very true. Very true. Um, <clears throat> just to continue also on that, what about using different technologies for different Uh, generation. Is that a cliche or is now a good time to start figuring out, well, based on, you know, generation, are there certain channels that I should privilege or should we not factor in generation well, here? Well, I, I think it's a yes and a no, Anne. Um, everyone is using technology. You know, my, my parents that are elderly, you know, have FaceTime with their grandkids and are texting. So, We know that technology has been adopted by all generations. It's really about whether or not organizations have set people up for success with the right technology to do the jobs they need to. So the organizations that are excelling in this current environment are those that already did that and or the ones that can pivot quickly. 
Now, where there is some generational differences is we can leverage those people on our teams, they may be younger, um, who are really very tech savvy to help coach and support other colleagues that may not be. Um, again, we might have baby boomers on our team that have the technology. They just haven't leveraged it a lot. They knew that it was on their, you know, Skype for business was loaded for them, but they never really accessed it. So we want to be able to support people and be able to allow for that kind of coaching. I think it's less about which technology each generation wants and more about whether or not they're going to find the right way to leverage it. So millennials and Gen Zs need to be a little patient if they've got colleagues or clients or leaders that don't use the same technology they use. Um, And we also have to make sure that we coach in our younger colleagues to make sure that they also remember we can pick up the phone, right? We can have a video call. Like everything doesn't need to be done on um, a chat function or everything doesn't need to be done just, you know, quickly that we still need to have dialogue. So it's a balance. I find sometimes younger people are too quick to only leverage technology and not have those connection points. Yeah, like you said, whether it's a video where you can see people, you have the body language, you have the the tone in in audio communication, it brings a little bit more humanity on top of the the, the, the texting or the instant messaging, which are still very efficient for, you know, small answer. Quick mm-hmm. reply and I'm a big of fan of, you know, requiring mandating is too strong of a word, maybe, but highly recommending that people turn on their and, uh, you know, there was a big discussion yes. and I think there was some, I saw somebody posted on LinkedIn the other day from Tom Ford, like how to look great on your, you know, video camera. People are so concerned that they're not camera ready. It's okay. Right. It's okay. Yes. Like, you know, please have pants on, <laughs> make sure that <laughs> it's appropriate, <laughs> but it's okay. But that body language is really important. It also does something else uh, powerfully is it minimizes our likelihood to multitask. It keeps us focused because you can think, right, when you're in a meeting, you're not likely to get up and do something else when you're sitting there with your colleagues. You might look down at your phone yeah. sometimes, depends. Each organization has uh, has different culture or, or norms around that. But yeah. if we have our camera on, we're engaged and we can connect with people. So I'm a big fan of that. And I, that goes to that communication, that high rich, high touch communication, which, by the way, the Gen Zs in our research asked for. They said, you know, that's a requirement. And, and the millennials have said the same thing. But for them, they said, I have an expectation I can work flexible arrangements. So don't get so hung up if, if the backdrop of where I am isn't isn't perfect. So what I'm at Starbucks, which they're they're not at Starbucks right now, but they they will be in a couple of months. No. One day we'll get to go <laughs> one back. One day, one day they will. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> oh, talk to me about that. Um, we've been talking about uh, leaders, but I'm always curious. Flip the question around and think about followers, not in a ding sense, but just the other side of the equation. If if I or somebody is a leader, it means that somebody is following that leader. So. In this work from home, in this remote, distributed, mobile environment, is there something that as a follower, we better to support our leader? Because we also have accountable toward them, not just them managing us, but we also have to manage up or connect with uh, other layers of management. And, and I love that you raise that because it is a, it's a partnership. Um, and, and in the work that we do, we talk about a model of organizational engagement. Um, meaning that there's an employee side of engagement and there's the organizational side or leadership. But when we, when we think about it in that way, it's not just who we are as an employee, it's how do we contribute to the bigger whole of the organization, the team. So we believe that it's about being transparent 
responsive and partnering. And that organizations and their policies and procedures and practices need to do that. Their leaders need to do that. And employees need to do that. So in that sense, the quote unquote followers of a, of a leader, they also have a responsibility to be transparent, to say, hey, you know what, this is what I'm, this is what's happening with me. This is how I'm doing. This is how I'm struggling. This is how I'm excelling. This is the support I need. Transparency is really being open and honest, forthcoming with your, your motives and your intentions, what's going on. The responsiveness is soliciting opinions and ideas. So employees need to be proactive with their leaders to say, hey, you know what, I've got an idea of how we could run our next meeting. Or, um, you know, I'm feeling like maybe we haven't tapped into uh, really understanding how people are handling this from a mental health perspective. Do you think we could have a few minutes at the next meeting to do that? Um, let's survey the group. Let's, you know, let's come up with some fun things to do so that we balance the business with, with the personal side and solicit ideas from other people. That's really, really being responsive. And then partnering is, is truly embracing the fact that we're all in this together. I mean, we're hearing that, that tagline everywhere. Um, but the partnering piece is that employees can support and encourage their leaders as much as the other way around. And so being able to be proactive, to offer where you think you can help out, to take the initiative, to say that you see an opportunity for something or you, you want to contribute, um, and to check in with your leader and say, how are things going? Because we ask leaders to do that, but sometimes nobody's checking in on them. And, and you know, having that kind of relationship builds trust and it, it strengthens the overall performance of the team. And what about uh, HR? Because I'm always thinking about all of my, mm -hmm. my HR clients and what they're going through right now. Uh, from your experience, perspective, point of view, anything else you recommend they should be doing? Oh my doing goodness! Well, that's a whole other right podcast, now. I think, Benoit. <laughs> it's, I mean, <laughs> yes, uh, almost all my clients are in HR as well, so I think we share that. And what a fascinating time! Um, and I think you'll probably agree with me. For a long time, HR has not gotten the credit it deserves for the the true the true contribution it makes to the success of organizations. That's been changing over the last, I'd say, decade, but um, certainly being viewed in a strategic role and, and their involvement. So there's a lots of different areas. I think first and foremost, helping, and during this COVID crisis, helping organizations just recognize where their people are um, on the human performance curve. I talk about you know this curve, think of it like a typical bell curve at one end of the spectrum There's people that are, are in distress and, and this comes from the resilience work, right? And then at the other end of the spectrum, yeah. the research calls it calm, but I don't like that term. We say more complacent, almost bored. Um, and then in the middle, there's a level of, of stress and that can be a good thing. That can be a positive thing. It can energize us. It can you know, make us feel focused. Right now, HR needs to be able to understand where we think the groups are, different groups and departments. And then deploy resources and support and policies and programs appropriately to address that. I think in this situation, that is where HR acts as the chief um, to really be able to support the business the way the business needs to in order to function. I think the other role that HR needs to play in this situation is to remind the organization and the senior leaders of the organization's values and how we will continue to live those and honor them and bring them to life, even in this environment. This is really the true test. When organizations say we're going to collaborate, are we really, if we're going to act with integrity, are we really going to, right? What are the things that we've committed to as an organization and for HR to 
to be the person who or the people that keep that top of mind and ensure that the values are are occurring. And as I mentioned, diversity inclusion is a great one. I mean, a lot of organizations say that, but when um, when things you know, when pressure comes down and, and things get cut, is that the first thing that gets cut? I, I did a session last week with a group and I was really impressed by the fact that they continued to go forward with a program around diversity and inclusion and looking at their strategy, despite the fact that they're dealing with obviously very urgent and immediate business needs. And that might be a testament to their resiliency, right? Or desire to build some resiliency because one day this will be over or, or less, mm-hmm. you know, of an issue than it is right now. And you still want to have a diverse pool of talent. You still want to, you know, build all of these programs to that. Yes, it's all of those commitments. It's those time. commitments to learning and development. Um, you know, I've, I have another business where I focus around supporting subject matter experts and L&D people and building high impact training. And again, those organizations that have said, look, we believe we are a growth organization and we believe in learning development. We don't throw that out now because we're dealing with COVID-19. We might have to readjust our, our plan, but we're still going to provide you with the training and support you need. And we're now going to do it virtually instead of flying everybody in, let's say. So it's, it is about those organizations that don't um, throw whatever the saying is. I always get it wrong. Throw the baby out with the bathwater, which I don't even know why anyone says that. It sounds horrible. <laughs> but I think that's kind of yes. the, the sentiment is when we're in this situation, are we really going to be resilient and, and adaptable um, and stay true to the values and the commitments we've made? Um, or are we just going to crumble and, and throw everything out because we're, we're going to rush to deal with the immediate need? Um, and I recognize the balance. We have to continue to to keep people employed and we need to deliver on our shareholder value and, and our financial targets. But we can still do that within the framework of our commitments, I think. And that's HR's role. Yeah. Well, uh, Giselle, we had a great conversation on resiliency, generations, technology, leadership, followers. Um, where does the listener can learn a little bit more Great. About well, people feel free do? to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Giselle, G-I-S-E-L-L-E, Kovari, K-O-V-A-R-Y. You can uh, visit us at ngenperformance.com. That's N-G-E-N, performance.com. Um, or you can also go to the other business, which is gttworldwide.com. And look forward to connecting and, and reaching out if anyone is interested in additional additional resources or keeping this conversation going. Congratulations, Benoit, for doing this. I think this is going to add a lot of value to a lot of people. This was Abrupt Future. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardy-Valley, and I thank you for your time. Thank you.